What is up, guys? We are back again with another episode. Again, we're still without Gary, even though he's actually home. He's back from his holidays. He's just chilling out. You know, he's like, oh, I'll take an extra day of holidays. No, he's actually catching up on some work that he has been off for the last two weeks. So there's a lot of work to do. However, Nicola is here to join us. But Nicola, you seem to be able to, you know, have a nice little holiday, get straight back to work. No bother. It's just, is Gary just a bit lazy, maybe? I'm just built different, you know. Uh, look, you actually you actually care about our business. You so feminine traits, yeah. Ah, uh, yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, but anyway, speaking of feminine traits, <laughs> we're going to continue the female series or the woman series, whatever you want to call it, um, and we're going to continue the discussion on menopause because we've touched on quite a lot. We've touched on training, we've touched on lifestyle, we've touched on nutrition, all of these things that you know fit in the realm of what we generally talk about in the health and fitness world right? There are a few things that we didn't touch on and we're going to touch on them now. And that is more so related to, I don't know what you would call it, the hormonal support for menopause, right? And we were just talking about this just before the call, naturally enough, as we prepared for this. Um, this is an area that women get some fucking atrocious marketing. You get some like outlandish claims made and it's understandable in terms of a or from a marketing perspective, because it's very easy. Like you have someone in, in front of you that's dealing with these issues that maybe doesn't know why they're going on, you know, why you're having hot flashes, for example, or whatever. You're like, oh, it's just menopause related, but you don't necessarily know the mechanisms behind it. So easy to come in and go, oh, you're having a terrible time of things right now. Here's a supplement. Take this. Or here's the, the protocol you should do. Or here's the whatever you should do. And it's, it's, it's definitely predatory. Um, but look, that's the, that's the world we live in. So hopefully at the end of this episode, you'll be able to look at all these practices and go, yeah, that's probably not, not great. Now we're obviously not going to touch on all the different various supplements that you can be taking. If you go back and listen to the like nutrition and lifestyle stuff that we've been talking about with regard to menopause, you'll see that, you know, you're probably better off focusing on that stuff. Like there was a reason we didn't mention a million and one supplements when we're talking about the diet. Um, because they're just not that effective. However, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't consider some things, right? And this is especially true when we're talking about the, we'll call it hormonal support for menopause. And what we're really talking about there is some sort of hormone replacement therapy, right? And within that, there are varying degrees of I don't know what you call it, intervention, I suppose, right? There's from the like low level intervention, which we'll talk about because this is where a lot of the, the marketing goes on because, you know, some of these are like over the counter. So if it's, if you're easily able to sell this to people, people are going to try to sell it to people, right? And then you've all the way up to like pharmacological stuff, which some people are hesitant to even think about, especially if they're being told that, oh, there's this quote unquote natural herb or whatever that does the exact same thing. Right. So we've a lot to cover in this. Where do we start? Where do we even start with this, Nicola, in terms of where do we think like hormone replacement for menopause? What, 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 like, why are we replacing hormones? What, like, I know we talked about it before in terms of, okay, the menopause, we're basically getting this like flat line, as we said, of the various hormones. Again, if you haven't listened to the last two episodes, I think it was maybe even three episodes where we've been talking about this, go back and listen to them now. Um, but we're getting this flat line of hormones. So if we just replace those hormones, is, is that the goal? Like what's the story here? Yeah. So I suppose, yeah, the, the first thing we need to talk about is the, the, like the definition of 
the kind of hormonal support and kind of the the goal of um the the hormonal therapy and I suppose a lot of the language around um hormonal support for kind of the menopause is kind of changing um so before you know kind of HRT was kind of the, the, the main way that we would describe this but now we know our language changing a little bit and we're kind of more so saying it's kind of menopausal um hormonal therapy um because the way that we're looking at it now isn't so much that we're trying to kind of replace those hormones but the goal of it is to kind of um treat um the symptoms of menopause and the goal of it, I suppose, is, is, is different, um, whether it is kind of um, like a premature uh, menopause. So um, menopause that happens in a woman that's kind of under 40 um, versus um, menopause in a woman that might happen kind of, you know, kind of 50, 51 plus. So in that kind of younger category, it's recommended um, for women to have um, uh uh, hormone treatment um, and that's to kind of prevent kind of cardiovascular disease um, kind of protect bone health etc um, for the the kind of um, women who hit menopause kind of around kind of 50 plus I suppose that the, the kind of primary indication for um, hormone therapy is things like the hot flashes um, and other kind of symptoms but predominantly hot flashes is kind of the main one kind of and the knock-on effect of kind of sleep disturbance um, night and uh, night sweats kind of mood etc um, so there, there we know that there's other other benefits of um, you know uh, hormone therapy we know that there is you know um you know, a kind of effect on kind of even kind of body composition, kind of skin thickness, um, et cetera. But the, the main indication, I suppose, is the kind of the, the hot flashes. Yeah, and I think that's important to understand because that's, first of all, what most people are going to go to their doctor about, right? But it is also important to keep in mind that some of the effects of hormones, right? Again, we've talked about it in the previous episodes, but these hormones, they do baseline effects, you know, they or they have baseline effects. Like you need them for baseline, you know, living organism, like to its optimal, right? Like even like you said, mentioned there, like your skin, you know, like there's a difference or there is a reason why there's a difference in skin quality between, you know, a, a 25 year old and a 55 year old. Now, some of it obviously is like sun damage and different things like that. But just in terms of the quality of the skin or even hair is, is an almost better one you know it's like estrogen is required for this stuff you know like there's a reason why people say like you know uh, like a pregnant woman you know it's like oh like your, your skin is glowing or whatever it's like it's hormones that are doing this you know so we can look at it from that perspective because i know a lot of people will look at it from the perspective that they want to maintain some sort of youthful look they might want to maintain some like we'll call it youthful vigor like they want to feel like they're optimized you know like there's a lot of talk in the the male hormone replacement therapy world of like this like oh i'm gonna have like this optimal male hormone replacement therapy like I'm, i don't i don't necessarily need hormone replacement therapy but i'm 50 odd now and i want to have the testosterone levels or maybe even like the growth hormone levels or whatever like of a 25 year old man, you know, I want to feel like I'm 25, even though I'm rocking a 60 year old's body, you know, like, so there's a lot of talk of that. And that also extends into the female hormone replacement therapy world. Right. But it is also important to understand that. And this is something that I think I actually find doctors don't explain well enough themselves. And that is that there are still health effects that are like under like that are going on behind the scenes, like say heart disease, because heart disease is cumulative. Like you could go, you could be uh, whatever, let's say you're a 51 year old woman, you've no menopausal symptoms, you've no, like you, the menopause was a breeze for you. So you never actually went to your doctor to go, oh, well, maybe we'll talk about 
hormone replacement therapy here because you're like, oh, I didn't, didn't really have any like hot flashes. I didn't have any symptoms. Right. But that doesn't mean that you are in an optimal health position. Like you're now effectively, like we'll say missing quote unquote, missing the beneficial effects of estrogen. And that could have deleterious effects for cardiovascular health down the road, you know? And because it's not like in your face, like hot flashes are people kind of just brush that under, under the carpet, but it's also not explained when we're talking about the benefits of like hormone replacement therapy for, for menopause, it's kind of just like, Oh, we're talking about symptom relief. And that is like, obviously look, that's realistically the name of the game here for the vast majority of this. Like you don't want to have symptoms. You don't want to feel like crap. You don't want to have disturbed sleep. You don't want to have all the different fucking shit things that we were (laughs) talking about with regard to menopause. But we also want to make sure that you are healthy. We don't want to make, we don't want like, you know, osteoporosis. We don't want heart disease. And I feel like those things are kind of underplayed, whereas the like hot flashes are kind of not overplayed, but they get the spotlight. You know, would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose where where that comes into it, you know, from kind of a, a maybe a GP's point of view, but mostly because you know, kind of with with the guidelines, it is kind of the the hot flashes and the symptoms are the main indication. It makes um, sense, like yeah, not, yeah, not sense. like that's what people yeah. are going to come to you to yeah. see. Come to Ab- see absolutely. Um, and then you know if um like there are there are you know side effects there can be you know negative aspects of um kind of um of you know taking kind of hrt so it, it it's kind of that kind of line where you know kind of where does you know where, where is kind of the, the the line drawn of of kind of you know prescribing that this for someone and um, but it is something like it is, it is something to consider you know particularly kind of doing doing your own research on and talking to your to your gp about it um and then kind of co- coming up between yourselves is it something that that that's gonna that's gonna benefit you um but it, it it's not something that i suppose a gp really is able kind of off the bat okay you're, you're coming into menopause we should think about getting you on hrt it kind of you know has to be I was nearly a kind of collaboration really kind of between the GP and the patient. Yeah. And this is one of those things where it's like, there basically is no zero risk intervention. Like if you go, Oh, I'm not going to go on HRT in any form. Like there are risks associated with that. Whereas if you go on HRT, there's risks associated with that, you know, or Mm. what we'll talk about some like low level interventions here now in a second, like there is no zero risk. Like if you do nothing, there's risks. If you do something, there's risks. So you just have to go in informed and go, well, where do I feel comfortable? Like where fits in? And we're not going to be able to answer that in this episode. We might give you some information here, but look, again, I've said it multiple times through this series and multiple times in my life. I'm an idiot, right? (laughs) I wouldn't be following my advice. Like, yeah, I might go, this is my interpretation of the science, but this is something you're going to have to talk to your doctor about, you know? Like if you joined the team here, like say you wanted to work with someone to help you through this, you wouldn't be talking to me. Like I might have some information and some knowledge about this stuff, but you're going to be talking to Nicola. You know, Nicola is going to be the one that goes, okay, we need to have a conversation. And if like, you're not going to be prescribing someone something, so you're going to go, okay, well, let's talk to your doctor about this, you know? So even within us, we're going to refer out, even though like Nicola, you are a doctor, et cetera. Um, but anyway, right. So we're saying the goal of hormone replacement therapy, right? Cause we need to get this clear. We need to make sure that this is very, you know, in front and center when we discuss the rest of this stuff, right? So it's going to be dependent on what population we're talking to. If we're talking to someone that had their, I don't know, their ovaries removed, like the goal yeah. of it is different than if it's just like, I'm the you know, archetypical, stereotypical, whatever, 51 year old, I'm going through this menopause. Like there's, there's the goals are going to be different, right? Yeah. So keep that in mind. The next thing then is 
we're really talking about support. We're not talking about like replacement. Like there, it's a it's a subtle change, you know, yeah. subtle change in the words, but it actually does have ramifications, you know. So we're just talk, talking about okay, there's a certain level of hormones that the body needs that unfortunately right now they're not making right and we want to support the body right and this is important to understand because as we've talked about in previous episodes like you could be you know only halfway through your life at 51 years old you know especially with modern medicine etc you know like so you could be only halfway through your life and if we're talking that these hormones have like baseline effects do you want to go the rest of your life without them right so again we're talking about support right and mm-hmm. um, then we're really talking about reducing symptoms because that is what most people are going to go to their doctor about so we have to keep that in mind that these hormones or these interventions that we could potentially bring in they're going to reduce the symptoms that well potentially reduce the symptoms that you're experiencing at this time right mm-hmm. and then on top of that and this goes ties in with the support side of things like we're looking at longevity right and we'll call it youthfulness because that's also what people are looking for this stuff for like the longevity aspect it's going to keep you healthier for longer ideally right now obviously again we've talked about it there's no zero risk intervention some of these things it carries a risk especially if you certain genetics or whatever but as we've talked about in previous episodes like you basically get more of a a male health risk after menopause you know like like your quote-unquote female privilege is you don't have to think about heart disease as much as men have to think about heart disease until you hit menopause and then it's something that you're like right now i really have to be be on top of this stuff you know so if we're talking about preventing heart disease we obviously have to talk about all the diet health lifestyle etc stuff but that also we need to talk about for, for women at least we need to talk about there's a hormonal side to this as well right so from a longevity perspective a youth and obviously there's other disease risks and whatever we've talked about them in previous episodes we're not going to touch on absolutely everything here <laughs> um, but also from like a, a youthfulness youthful vigor even the look of youthfulness there's that aspect as well so there's multiple goals that's kind of what we're thinking about when we're talking about hormone replacement therapy disease risk etc all the stuff that we covered right so where does someone start with this right so they come to you, Nicola, maybe it's a family member. They're like, oh, Nicola, what, like, what, where should I start with this? Like, I know you have a lot of clients that are in perimenopause or menopause or whatever. And you have to have these discussions about like, what's the first line intervention or, you know, you kind of have to help people navigate this stuff themselves. And obviously like in the hospital and all that kind of stuff, maybe you have to do that as well. Like, where do we start? Yeah. So um, in, in in terms of the, the hormone replacement therapy, I suppose it's about being kind of, you know, in, informed, um, you know, first and foremost is about knowing kind of, you know, what kind of symptoms you're having, um, how severe they are kind of and, and how it might be kind of impacting your your quality of life. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I suppose, like you were saying, you know, I can I can talk to my clients about this, but of course, I'm not going to be kind of recommending anything um, or or prescribing anything. So that, that's not my role as, as their as their coach. That is something that you'd want to be, you know, again, linked in with, with your own kind of doctor about. Um, but definitely um, it's something that we can kind of discuss and kind of, again, just help you kind of be more, more informed about that. But you're looking at kind of symptoms, um, quality of life. Um, and as well, if, if that is kind of a route that, that you want to go down, kind of the, the hormonal therapy, um, you know, it's about kind of weighing up that kind of, you know, um, benefit versus risk. So 
a lot of the the hormonal therapy that the greatest benefit is kind of seen within kind of the first kind of 10 years of of kind of reaching menopause and um, so you know kind of kind of really kind of warm women kind of under 60 that are generally kind of you know healthy but kind of symptomatic um that also don't have any you know contraindications of kind of um hormonal therapies so that's like you know kind of breast cancer and um, previous history of stroke um you know um coronary heart disease um etc liver disease um and then after that that you're looking at kind of the different kind of preparations kind of of um hormonal therapy so with menopause are kind of two kind of main hormones you know estrogen and progesterone like we spoken before kind of um flatlined and a lot of the symptoms um that you might get from menopause it, they're kind of associated with that kind of low estrogen state so that the main um the main uh, goal of of um, the the hormonal therapy is kind of replacing that estrogen, um, and so whether you get um, a preparation kind of with estrogen and progesterone, that depends on whether you um, have a womb or not. Um, so women that might have kind of had a previous hysterectomy. And we'll just get estrogen, and um, but women that still have um, a womb will get estrogen and progesterone, um, and that's because um, unopposed estrogens, so that's kind of estrogen only, um, will kind of essentially kind of thicken the lining of the womb, um, and then you can get kind of you know endometrial could could increase risk of endometrial cancer from that. So you need that um, if you have a womb intact, you need that progesterone to kind of keep that kind of lining of 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 the womb um, kind of thin to prevent that. Um, so then you're looking at kind of what different kind of preparations you might get. So for kind of estrogen, you can kind of take an oral tablet. Um, there's like a, a transdermal kind of like, you know, like a patch or a gel that you can kind of pop on your body. I think that's the that's the kind of preferred kind of method, because um, with the, the tablets, particularly if you have something kind of like liver disease, it means it's not going to be kind of metabolized, um, you know, um, in, in the liver if you kind of have have that pouch patch. Um. And as well, it kind of depends on your symptoms as well. So if you're mostly kind of suffering kind of with the genital urinary symptoms, like kind of like vaginal dryness or kind of soreness, maybe you might have kind of an estrogen kind of ring um, or you might um, kind of have like an estrogen gel or something for, for those symptoms. Um, and then kind of replacing progesterone. Again, you can kind of take that orally um, or a lot of women will kind of have the, the marina coil, um, which again, just kind of has a, like a coil that's kind of inserted and then will kind of locally kind of um, excrete uh, progesterone kind of in, into, the, into the womb. Mm. Um, and then other thing, again, it, it, it completely depends on kind of the, the woman's symptoms, like kind of testosterone is something else that can be added, um, particularly for kind of energy levels, libido. But again, that's that's kind of needs to be kind of assessed by 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 your by your doctor. It's not kind of the usual, um, but it is something that 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 can be given as well. And that that's usually kind of like a, a gel. Yeah, 100 percent. Um, and there's one thing I just wanted to touch on there, because, look, we basically said in, in this, you're going, OK, so there's a few different hormones that we want to potentially support or like we'll call them like replace, even though I don't, we, we don't like that word, right? Um, mm -hmm. Support, right? So there's a few different hormones that we're looking at, but something that you said there that I want to just touch on because I think it is actually important, especially later on for this discussion, is that mm -hmm. this is something that it's really the first 10 years, you know, we'll call it post-menopause or this kind of like sub 60. Well, if we're saying the average age is 51 or whatever, you know, it's like, it's kind of the, the first 10 years that seems to get the, the most benefit of this. Mm. And we kind of touched on this before we started this call, but does this mean that this is something that you kind of need to be thinking about now? Let's just say you are a, a 40 year old or even like, I actually even like, you know, in your twenties, you should be thinking about this stuff, you know, just to have it in your head 
you know, it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, uh, you know, you should have an idea of like, if you were to get, I don't know, killed or something, you know, die, do you want to be an organ donor? You know, it's something that's like, mm-hmm. you should have that in your mind. I know in organ donors in, in Ireland, it's a little bit different, but anyway, um, but it's like something in your mind you should have already thought about. I think it's kind of the same with the menopause because look, you could literally have to go through menopause at fucking 21, <laughs> you know? So it's like, this is something that, in my mind at least you should be thinking about or have an idea of what you would prefer um and obviously that's going to be changed by what your doctor describes or thinks is best for you and all that kind of stuff um but why are we thinking that like why or first of all would you agree with that that this is something that you should be actually prepared ahead of time for and then also like why can we not just go oh look i'm actually i had i went through menopause like five years ago i'll just start you know hormone replacement therapy now or i went through menopause 10 years ago i'll just start hormone replacement therapy now you know like is that bad is that something that we should be against like what's the story there so i think like you were saying i think it's always important to to be informed like i think you know a a lot of women in kind of you know in in their 20s and their 30s won't have a clue about um kind of hormone replacement therapy you know they won't have a have a clue about what what the options are um and then it's only kind of when they're having these symptoms that you know then they might start kind of you know kind of learning about it or talking to other people about it so it's something that again you know we're, we're kind of not taught in schools um but it's something that i think you know is important to have these conversations early um and to know kind of what other kind of symptoms other women are going through and what's worked for them again being able to talk to your own mother about it um you know maybe um why she went on it or why she didn't you know is 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 equally important um and as well you know um you know, be being informed of those contraindications as well. So let's say um you might be someone that has, you know, some kind of like liver disease. Um, and then you kind of reach that kind of menopausal age and kind of know that actually maybe, maybe I can't go on this, you know. Um, so that's that that's kind of equally as important. Or if there's a history of kind of breast cancer in your family. Um, so I think it's always important to be informed. And it just again, it opens up these conversations um and makes, you know, um menopause and makes kind of uh, hormonal therapy kind of more mainstream and less of a taboo subject. So I think, yeah, definitely it's important to be talking about it kind of be thinking about it because it is something eventually that that you will have to think about so um you know kind of why not kind of be informed on it kind of earlier and be able to kind of have conversations with people about it yeah um, and i think that is really beneficial because the, the, there's this whole idea of like oh i'll just you know deal with it as it comes you know I'll, like, yeah. I'll deal with the issues as they come which is fine like obviously look that's humans have been doing that for millennia we're still here you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I always think it's better to have a plan of action ahead of time, you know, like plans, they rarely go to, to, to plan, you know, it's like the best laid plans of mice and men, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. But it is still better to have a plan of action than to have no plan of action, because if you've no plan of action, then nothing will ever go to plan because there was no plan, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think it's better to have an idea in your head at least, but to have an idea in your head, you kind of need to know the pros and cons, right? So we've really only been list- listing off, oh, well, you know, you might want to support, you know, these different hormones because you have these different symptoms. Um, you know, there's cardiovascular disease risk. We've talked about osteoporosis and osteopenia and all this kind of stuff. And we're saying, okay, so, you know, we need hormones for baseline function. We need hormones for X, Y, Z. They're good for this, X, Y, Z, blah, blah, blah. And it kind of paints a little bit of a rosy picture. Now, obviously, yeah. 
we've caveated that a little bit by saying that like if you have some of these counterindications, like say for example, you have some sort of estrogen mediated, I don't know, breast cancer, you know, like it's like you have one, what is that BRC2 or whatever, the BRCA gene mutation or whatever. We're like, okay, look, it's estrogen mediated. This is a potential risk for you. Maybe we're not going to go on estrogen therapy, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so we'll take that into account. There are counterindications. You as an individual might not be aware of these counterindications, but obviously that would be something that would change your plan of action when you're talking about your doc or talking to your doctor about this stuff. Right. So look, that's not necessarily something you need to think about. Obviously if there's like breast cancer in your family or whatever, it, it becomes more of a conversation or more of something you could think about. Um, but it's not like you're really going to know that you have like a uh, liver disease risk or something like it's unless, you know, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, but let's, let's assume we've, we've done all that. Are there any negatives here? right? Why doesn't everyone just go on hormone replacement therapy? Because, and maybe in this, you'll talk about that kind of women's health initiative, all the stuff around there. And um, because I know that was a, a, a big thing, right? Because we've mm-hmm. done studies on this stuff. We've done studies on hormone replacement therapy for women or you know, menopausal support, whatever we want to call it. And yeah. so is it all just rosy? Is it all just good? Yeah. And so even backpedaling to this kind of ties in question that you were asking, you know, can you take it kind of within five years, within kind of 10 years of menopause? So, yeah, the, again, the, the indications are kind of within 10 years of overreaching menopause. So if it is kind of five years post post menopause, that's fine. Kind of over 10 years. Um, again, it, 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 there there are some there are some um, risks um, involved. And even before that time, there are there are some risks involved as well. Um, and kind of what highlights this the most is the Women's Health Initiative that was kind of in the in the early um 2000s so when when um hormone replacement therapy or you know um hormonal therapy for menopause um came out it was kind of seen as this kind of you know panacea um you know that was going to kind of solve all kind of you know menopausal issues was going to kind of like you're saying keep youthfulness etc um and then this um study um was done like i said in the early 2000s um and it kind of came out with saying that actually um hormone replacement therapy there's an increased risk of you know breast cancer dementia cardiovascular disease um and kind of overnight you know every Everyone panicked. People just immediately stopped taking their HRT. Doctors didn't know whether they should be prescribing it or not. Um, everyone was just, you know, um, confused and upset. Um, but when they, you know, actually kind of looked in into these studies, they were, they were completely flawed. Um, you know, there was a lot of the women that were kind of within the studies were kind of past that kind of 10 years postmenopausal age. They didn't take into account ethnicity. They didn't take into account comorbidities. Um, and so that's why we were seeing a lot of these kind of negative outcomes. And it also kind of wasn't highlighting the fact that kind of short term, um, you know, m- hormone um, therapy um, had had no associated negative health outcomes either. Um, and so a lot of women kind of, you know, dropped off from using the HRT and then subsequently you saw, you know, a rise in kind of osteoporosis. You saw a rise in kind of hip fractures, um, which, you know, obviously has huge kind of morbidity, mortality associated with them as well. Um, so we, that that kind of, you know, um, study, I suppose, has been kind of debunked um, since then. But there, there are still so, some kind of um, risks. And this is the kind of the, the scariest one. I think that that's always kind of brought up is the the breast cancer risk. 
So about kind of, you know, 12 in a thousand women um, will get breast cancer in their lifetime. Um, and then on HRT, that um, risk increases maybe about kind of three or four per thousand. Um, so really, it, it, it's not a huge increase in risk. I mean, kind of, you know, it, it, that it goes from, you know, like I said, kind of, you know, maybe 12 to kind of, you know, 15, kind of 16 per thousand. So the kind of the the. The, the the total kind of risk kind of you know kind of isn't isn't is isn't huge that 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 increase at all um but what's shown with that as well that there there's no the the all there's a like a lower all cause mortality um of those women that kind of do develop um breast cancer as a result from being on hrt and that's because the women who develop um breast cancer uh, because of HRT, it's that kind of hormone um sensitive breast cancer, which we know is kind of um, you know, very well treated. Um so that's why we don't see that that um that rise in mortality. And then when you look at kind of that the the increase in breast cancer risk and it's kind of you know totality, the risk is still kind of less than women taking the pill, which which is funny because that's not something that that's kind of spoke spoken about. Um and then things like, you know, smoking also increases your risk kind of, you know, about the same, you know, kind of about three per per 1000 um, drinking, um, you know, kind of two glasses of wine. So just kind of over your kind of, you know, daily kind of um, units that you should be kind of consuming um, is it increases by five per thousand. So it's, there's an even greater risk there. And then obesity actually doubles your risk of, of breast cancer. Um, so when you kind of put it into perspective like that, um, Again, it's kind of weighing up the pros and cons. But if you're someone who's, um, you know, quality of life is completely flatlined by, you know, kind of hot flashes and you're, you know, you're kind of have mood disturbances, sleep disturbances, um, you know, again, you need to kind of weigh up the the the, the pros and cons, but that the risk kind of really isn't isn't as great as maybe it's made, made out to be. Yeah, it seems, at least from my understanding, it seems that if you were to intervene sooner and like we should kind of explain why that would potentially be the case is like you have to imagine that like again estrogen has some you know baseline effects like if you remove that baseline effect you remove that in or that estrogen for long enough like those cells don't just stay the same they don't just go oh we're expecting x amount of estrogen all the time we're not getting it we'll just stay the exact same and hope that in the future we're going to get that you know like no they they changed they're they're not stupid you know like your body's not stupid um if you were to then just effectively leave that for long enough they stop you know requiring well they don't stop requiring it but they stop expecting that much and then if you were to just effectively quote-unquote flood the system with a load of oxygen like changes have already occurred like if you didn't if you left this 10 years and then flooded the system with estrogen like changes have occurred you know um so we have to take that into account. That's effectively why this is kind of, this is very like a uh, crappy explanation, but let's just <laughs> leave it at that. Um, so that's potentially why, but then when we're talking about this, like breast cancer risk, like this is something to really keep in mind that you have effectively, you potentially increase your risk of breast cancer by going on hormone replacement therapy or any of these, like we're, we're using breast cancer as a, like a, whatever you want to call it, uh, an example, I suppose. Right. Um, but there are other estrogen mediated cancers and other estrogen mediated, whatever that are potentially even increased risk if you do go on hormone replacement therapy, but especially when we're talking about breast cancer, the thing about it is there's clearly a risk associated with going on hormone replacement therapy for breast cancer, but it is those estrogen mediated breast cancers, right? 
which seem to be the most easily treated, right? So mm-hmm. yeah, you've increased your risk, but you've increased your risk with the cancers that we know, or at least we are better able to deal with, right? So yeah. you might get cancer. So if we look at just can- cancer occurrence outcomes versus if we look at mortality, which is actually what people care about, like no one really cares if they get cancer and it's like, all right, it's easily treated. Like, yeah, obviously it's a harrowing event. Obviously like it's an emotional roller coaster here, but it's not like you're going to die, right? Um, so that is a risk, but it's not a huge risk, even if we're talking, even though we're talking about like whatever, three to four per thousand increase you know so that i can't and you can't help someone navigate that right that has to be something that you actually sit down and go well do i actually am i actually okay with that risk am i actually okay with the increased risk of getting you know breast cancer and we'll we'll go through some more maybe potentially of the risks and benefits of hormone replacement therapy now in a second just a kind of bullet point or whatever um but you have to sit down and actually go, am I actually okay with that risk? Am I actually okay with that, you know, risk to reward? Because like you're saying, this isn't just a, like, oh, there's health benefits to going on hormone replacement therapy or whatever. It's also your quality of life. Like mm. imagine, like, and some people do experience this for 10 years, you have to deal with hot flashes, <laughs> you know, yeah. you have to deal with crappy sleep. Yeah. You have to deal with being irritable. You have to deal with just feeling like crap because you're going through menopause for effectively 10 years here. Now, again, most people, it's not going to be 10 years of that, but for some people it is, right? So mm-hmm. you have to weigh that up. And you also then have to weigh up, and like we were saying before, whether you're going to fucking just pull the plug and do it straight out the gate. You know, you're 51, you're like, um, you know, menopausal. I talked to my mother, I've talked to women in my family and they all had a fucking hard time of it. They all have a shit time of it. They went through like, you know, lots of hot flashes, blah, 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 really bad symptoms. Like you kind of have to be ready to pull the plug and just go, I'm going to go on hormone replacement therapy as soon as it's available to me, you know, or you have to be thinking about that in the next couple of years. Once you start going, okay, I'm starting to get some symptoms of this. Do I just go into my doctor, tell them about it and effectively ask (laughs) for hormone replacement therapy? You know, in my understanding of all this, the worst outcome is just waiting and waiting and waiting and hoping that oh it'll get better and then coming in at you know 10 years post menopause and going okay now i'll go on hormone replacement therapy you know in my mind at least my understanding that seems to be the poorest way to handle this would you agree with that or what are your thoughts on that yeah 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 absolutely i mean you know if if you're i think i think it's a really irish thing as well to be like oh you know i don't want to you know be taking something you know a medication um you know um a lot of people are very kind of resistant towards that and and it is just unfortunate that you know like the the women's health initiative like that those studies came out um that even though we now know that they're inaccurate there is still that kind of um you know resistance um of a lot of people and a lot of people are very so very skeptical about um you know, kind of uh, hormone therapy, which is which is unfortunate because, you know, it has shown a huge improvement in the quality of life of of you know many many women, um, and we also have to put the, these risks you know in, in, into context. Like if you're you know um, um fifty five um normal BMI doesn't smoke doesn't drink you know no comorbidities you know kind of relatively healthy, kind of you, your risk of you know breast cancer um, or other risks which which we'll go through is going to look very different again to someone who is 
um you know maybe not even a smoker but a you know maybe a bit of a drinker um kind of overweight like it, it it's going to look completely different that that risk as well so it just has to take everything into context and as well even things like if you've um had children or not um so women that have had children again have a lower risk of, of breast cancer in general so there's a lot of these things that have, have to be taken into account yeah and i actually don't even think an individual themselves could weigh up all the risks no 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 absolutely you know? not like it is something that you're just going to have to do a lot of your own research on like obviously like this episode is supposed to give you some sort of idea supposed to give you some like starting points for this stuff but i genuinely don't think you can find all the answers you know i don't think any individual even if you were the top of the fucking food chain scientist in this stuff like i don't think you can actually accurately weigh up all the risks from a purely like scientific point of view you have to bring in the okay i don't know what you would call it the like life stuff you know whatever else you have going on in your life you're like are these symptoms are the benefits of hormone replacement therapy good for you your life situation all that you have going on and then ideally you would also talk to your doctor and they would give you rationale for like oh well i've seen hundreds of other thousands of other women that have gone through similar things and this seems to be what's most effective you know in your community because you would presume your community or whatever is somewhat representative of you know you in in general you know um so benefits and risks of hormone replacement therapy give me the quick hitter here give me the <laughs> why would someone do it and why would someone not do it because i want to just kind of neatly kind of wrap this up into this because then there's some other things that we need to talk about in terms of we'll, we'll talk about them in a second but let's just give me the, the quick hitter first of all there's a variety of different forms of hormone replacement therapy it's not like we're just talking about a singular oh this is the the one protocol that we have like yeah. protocols are different the methods of delivery are different we'll assume that but why would someone assuming they're talking to their doctor they come to their doctor they have symptoms their doctor goes, oh, hormone replacement therapy. What would you say to someone? You're helping someone decide here. What are you like? Right. These are the benefits. These are the risks. Yeah. So the, I suppose the main benefits are, are the symptom control. So you're talking about like your hot flashes, kind of sleep disturbances and um, even kind of mood disturbances, um, kind of decreasing the risk of um, like osteoporosis for a lot of women um, and your cardiovascular disease um, risk as well. Those, those are kind of the main ones. And then you have, I suppose, I don't want to say kind of more like superficial um, benefits, but, you know, um, kind of a lot of women will um, find that there is kind of, an, you know, they'll kind of be keeping their kind of skin quality um you know kind of their their hair won't be kind of as brittle um and then kind of body composition as well but again those aren't necessarily reasons why you go on it but women kind of do find um, a difference in in those 100 and then what are the risks and then the risks so like you're saying that that kind of you know increase in breast cancer there's also an increase in kind of um i suppose the risk of kind of um blood clots um but again this is like you know a, a small risk um and that the risk is kind of lessened kind of with the the transdermal patch that we are talking about um but there is still a slight risk like i said it's, it's still not as high as kind of you know being on the pill um but yeah that that that's a risk as well so then a knock-on um you know effect of like a risk of stroke um there's um you know a risk of um kind of getting you know endometrial cancer but that's only if you're only on kind of the the estrogen um only those are kind of the the, the main ones perfect right so go away from it you can listen to all that you can go right 
there's some main risks. There's some bullet points of the risks and the pros, the cons. We can't make the decision for you. <laughs> Unfortunately, this is something you need to talk to your doctor about, right? But there is something that your doctor might actually talk about before they even suggest hormone replacement therapy, right? Um, and this is, you know, potentially they might suggest some sort of antidepressant, you know? Now you could be a woman that goes to your doctor and goes, I feel like crap. You know, I'm having these like hot flashes and I'm, I'm, my sleep is crap. They might say, oh, well, here's an antidepressant. You know, is that something that they would do? Yeah. So that this is like a really um, controversial um, topic that, you know, a lot of women are saying, you know, they've kind of went to their doctor and they're experiencing these symptoms and they're put on an antidepressant, which kind of by and large, you know, kind of putting, you know, all women that are kind of perimenopause um, on an antidepressant isn't right. You know, I think that, that that's fairly obvious. Um, but again, you know, that that doesn't necessarily mean that um, that there will be, you know, no benefit to either or that that's completely inappropriate kind of, you know, for you. Um, again, if, if you're or, um, you know, someone who can't take um, hormonal therapy for whatever reason, um, maybe, you know, um, like a, a kind of a low dose kind of SSRI might be kind of an appropriate in, in intervention for you. Um, maybe you want to try kind of other interventions first, kind of like CBT. Maybe you want to try kind of hormonal therapy um, first as well. Um again that, that that's going to be completely individual but definitely you know kind of putting all women that are perimenopausal on kind of um you know an antidepressant is isn't um the, the right thing to do but again it, it depends on what kind of symptoms that that you're experiencing um so yeah and this is a hard one because you can understand why someone would suggest oh here's an antidepressant right like if you come to someone and you're saying basically i feel like crap like again these hormones as we talked about are required for baseline functioning and that in turn is both like cognitive functioning you know like this is what people will say like oh when i'm perimenopause or menopause i forget things or words don't come to me as you know quickly as they used to and you know i i can't hold the same train of thought that i had and like they'll say stuff like and, and that's cognitively related but also we have mood disturbances and some of this is related to you know lack of sleep or interrupted sleep and stuff like that but also again hormones are related to your mood and everybody knows this in this day and age you know it's like okay like we know for example like testosterone if you have someone that has low testosterone as a man for example you'd be like right you'd probably expect that they're a little bit depressed like they mm. testosterone is required for this kind of like you know drive and you know whatever masculine energy whatever you want to call it right um so it's like yeah okay they're going to be depressed and this is the same with women like you need these baseline hormones to make you feel like you've always felt like you know so you can understand why someone would suggest going, okay, you feel like crap, you're depressed, you've gone through menopause or you're going through menopause or you're perimenopause, we'll put you on some sort of antidepressant so that you can overcome the depression. You know, it's like, it doesn't mean that we're going to be on this for the rest of your life, but right now it's going to give you that little, we'll call it a pick-me-up, but that's not how antidepressants work, but we'll say it's like, it's kind of like a pick-me-up. So it brings you to this higher baseline. So you don't feel as depressed cool that allows you to go through the symptoms etc deal with your life yeah. or it's kind of one of those things where it's like this is downstream of the actual issue the actual issue is the lack of these hormones right mm -hmm. so would we be, be better off not just supporting the hormones or supporting the, the need for these hormones rather than going here's an antidepressant you know and um, i would think so but like you said there is clearly a conversation to be had here in terms of some people are not able to go on you know hormonal support some people like again you could have like 
uh, again, you know, in your family, you've got some sort of estrogen mediated cancer risk, right? You're going to go, oh, I can't go on hormonal support now. Do I just have to fucking grin and bear it? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so for, for them, we can go, okay, we have these other options. And there's actually other options as well, which maybe we'll talk on as well. But mm-hmm. as a blanket statement, like you were even saying just before, like, you know, up to date is a website that like doctors and stuff use to be like, what's the most up to date research? What's the most up to date literature? Hence the name up to date, right? And even on that, you were saying that this is one of those kind of frontline interventions. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't necessarily agree with that, but where do we go yeah. from there? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it, it you know, it, it depends on the person, the situation, you know, if, if they're able to take, you know, um, hormonal therapy and, and, and women might be described, prescribed hormonal therapy, you know, and necessary SSRI. Um, so it, it, it's, it's completely dependent. Like, I think obviously, I think everyone would agree kind of painting um, all perimenopausal women with the same brush and, and, you know, putting them on, you know, an SSRI and antidepressant is, is, is the wrong thing to do. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, it might be the wrong thing for you um as an individual you know it might be um you know a, a good alternative yeah and it, ju- it just depends yeah now on top of that there are potentially other things that we might layer on and we're talking about a hormonal therapy discussion so maybe we'll talk about there are a few other hormones that potentially your doctor might talk about and this is more so like we're covering these because if you search online you'll see these you know people will say oh this thing especially if you uh read message boards or whatever that Americans are on because you know there's a lot of clinics over in America well there's around the world I won't just paint the fucking brush with uh, just America Uh, but there's a lot more money to be made let's say in American healthcare than other places in the world Um, but your doctor might prescribe growth hormone right they might go oh growth hormone is something you know it goes down levels of growth hormone in your body go down with regard to or when you get older i should i should literally just say when you get older your levels of growth hormone go down and so your doctor might go well this is a, a youthful hormone or youthfulness hormone so we might start supplementing with this in you know menopause or even even earlier a lot of people will say this um in my understanding well first of all i actually don't think growth hormone is associated with youthfulness. I actually just, I, I don't think that's a, a statement that is actually supported by the literature. Um, but also I think it actually increases your, well, risk of different cancers and stuff disproportionate to the benefit that you would potentially get from it. It's not like it's actually going to help you a huge amount. That's my interpretation of the, the science. And in my mind as well, you'd actually just be better off getting good sleep and exercising, you know? So I don't know what your thoughts are there, Nicola, in terms of growth hormone. Is that something that if you were to go to your doctor right now, like your GP or whatever, and maybe even like a dedicated hormone clinic? I know there's a lot of more of those these days and there would have potentially been, you know, 10, 20 years ago, they might suggest growth hormone, you know, especially if you go into like, you know, what are the Hollywood A-listers doing? You'll see a lot of them are on like growth hormone Um, and it does have benefits. Don't get me wrong. Like obviously, you know, it has benefits in terms of skin quality and different things or whatever. But is it something that uh, the average person should be thinking about? Is it something that your doctor is even going to bring up? Yeah, I, I, I'd agree with you. I don't think it's, you know, it's not something that I kind of put to the forefront. And I think kind of the biggest kind of, um, you know, issue with that and, and a lot of other kind of, you know, supplements is that, you know, we're all kind of looking for kind of the one that works, kind of the secret one that works, you know. Um, but for by and large, for the majority of the people, for the majority of people, that's probably not going to be you know, as helpful as other things, like you were saying, sleep and exercise. Yeah. So 
if you see people going, oh, growth hormone for menopause. Yeah. Like it might offer some benefit for some individuals from a quote unquote youthfulness perspective, because that's what it's basically marketed as. But in my mind, look, it's not, it's not something that I would be putting a lot of time and thought into. However, we just mentioned that, oh, it would be great if we could just get some good sleep and good exercise. Now, obviously, look, we have a vested interest in suggesting exercise. We are proponents of exercise, <laughs> you know, um, but sleep, if you're having hot flashes, you're having all these different things, you know, that maybe are potentially preventing you from having good sleep is melatonin something that we should potentially be thinking about, right? Because melatonin as if unless if you're unaware of it melatonin is effectively we'll call it the sleep hormone it's something that helps you regulate your sleep wake cycle it's we'll say it is itself regulated by the diurnal rhythm the circadian rhythm or it the diurnal rhythm of the day basically and that influences your circadian rhythm so what i mean by that is like it is suppressed by blue light right so melatonin secretion is suppressed by blue light so that would be ideal during the day and you're out and about the sun is shining cool you don't want to be secreting We'll call it this sleep hormone, right? But then when the sun goes down, you know, red light out and, you know, we get some melatonin secretion. However, if we're having hot flashes, you know, body temperature also plays a role in your circadian rhythm, your ability to sleep, all that kind of stuff. We might be in a situation where you can't get to sleep. You might have a lack of melatonin, you know, or a a lower amount of melatonin, or it's not a sufficient amount of melatonin. And we also know that, melatonin is associated or it is correlated i should say with we'll call it um hormonal things right because you can give melatonin to say for example uh prepubescent or just on the cusp of puberty um you can give melatonin to well i don't think it's been done in humans but you can do it to rats and stuff right um you can give it to them and it will effectively delay puberty right? So we know there is some association here, some sort of mechanism is, is occurring that's, you know, interacting with these two systems. Um, is melatonin something that we should be thinking about? So, you know, possibly, and again, you know, I keep feel like I keep saying, you know, it depends on the woman, but it really does depend on the woman. Um, you know, like, if 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 someone is experiencing kind of sleep disturbances and maybe that we know how LinkedIn, uh, you know, mood and sleep are. um, So it, it could be something, you know, to consider, like if you're having, you know, those kind of symptoms, if you are having any trouble sleeping um, again, it's something I know in some countries you can get it over the counter in Ireland. It has to be prescribed. So it would have to be something that you'd have to talk to your GP about. Um, it's but- actually, it's very strange because like we all live in the European Union um and in half the european union countries like well we don't all live i actually literally right now don't live in the european union so i don't know why i said that but anyway yeah (laughs) you know in some european union countries it's literally just over the counter so you could just go on holidays and take this stuff now i don't know what the story is with you know border security and all that kind of stuff i'm not a legal expert so don't go to fucking france or something get a lot of (laughs) melatonin um but it is a weird one, you know, because it's like yeah, it's over I, think it can be ta- I think it can be taken off you if you if you order it in. I think it can be. Yeah. Um, yeah, um, yeah but it's one of those weird ones where yeah. it is technically a hormone here. Right. But you can yeah. in some countries you can order it over the counter or so you can just get it over the counter. And in some countries it's banned. So mm. we're having this discussion, but we're having this discussion as like a meta discussion. I think, again, like you, you said, like you can get it prescribed by your doctor mm. in, in Ireland. Um, but I just want to, you know, clear our name in this or be like, look, (laughs) you have to do wherever you're listening to this, because I know literally thousands of people listen to this around the world. So I'm like, look, you have to do your own due diligence here and 
you know, mm. to see what the, the legal aspect of this is. Yeah, so I suppose my my it's a, it's mostly going to help with kind of the onset of sleep. But my big thing would be, you know, if you're, if, you know, if you're not sleeping because of you know really intense, you know, um, like night sweats, um, you know, kind of is is melatonin kind of the right thing for you to go on, um, or you know, should you kind of be locking down, you know, other routes, kind of you know, like hormonal therapy routes, and um, that might be kind of you know more effective. Is melatonin just kind of putting you know kind of um, you know a band aid on the issue or? Is that something that that's going to help? And again, you know, maybe you're someone that doesn't want to take, you know, hormonal therapy or can't, um, you know, maybe you're not kind of in that bracket and, and, and it just depends. But, you know, that is something else to think about. Am I just kind of, you know, um, you know, kind of polypharmacy, just taking to something to, to, to kind of stop symptom of something else, you know? Which is tempting to do. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's tempting to be like, oh, well, I'll take this thing for this thing and I'll take this other thing for this. Yeah, exactly. But, that doesn't mean that that's the best approach. However, again, look, you're going to have to talk to your doctor. There is a few things about uh, melatonin. Like there, it does seem to be like linked to the onset of perimenopause, you know, melatonin levels. Now that's what I'm talking about in like a free living individual. Like if you're just to measure melatonin levels and, you know, then when do these people hit perimenopause? There does seem to be a link here, right? In terms of, I think it's low levels are associated with earlier like perimenopause. Um, but that could also be a sleep thing because if yeah. you have low levels of melatonin, it's like, you know, you're, you're not getting enough sleep and maybe that has links in terms of like your body's ability to whatever. Like there's so many different things going on there. And but supplementing can actually delay menopause. Right. That's mm -hmm. according to some studies right now. I wouldn't go out and go like, oh, here's I'm um, fuck. I've stumbled upon, upon this like absolute secret. Like I wouldn't hold my hat yeah. or I wouldn't pin my hat on this and go like, these are the best highest quality studies. It's so robust. We have millions of participants, like not at all. Right. But there does seem to be something here. Right. Mm -hmm. However, if we're talking about a practical, like what do we do as an individual here? What do we do? Tie this stuff all together. Like, it doesn't seem to be a huge benefit, you know, like if yeah. it's over the counter in your country and you're like, ah, you know what, maybe I'll just, I'll try this. It's, you know, a fucking couple of quid here, you know, and a lot of the time you'll find these like mega dosed ones. Like you literally need such a small dose. Like it's like 0 0.3 milligrams or something like that. Is it micrograms? Or I think it's milligrams. Anyway, you know, it's like very small and you'll see these products with like 10 milligrams and it's like you, you just don't need that much <laughs> you know mm -hmm. um so like a very small dose it can improve sleep so you know well, it, for some individuals like we said it depends um so that's something to potentially consider but again it's not going to be this panacea it's not going to be this cure-all you might see some improvements in mood you might see some you know there are some studies that suggest that there's a mitigation of depressive symptoms so again if you're in this position where you're like look I've tried this. I've tried these other higher level interventions. They're not giving me the symptom relief that I want. You know, maybe then it's something to look at, but it wouldn't be a first line intervention, at least in my estimation of the, of the research, you know? Um, but there are other things. Right? <laughs> so we're talking about, right, we've got this like, quote unquote, best, right? Obviously, again, that's like a value judgment and that's something that an individual has to do. But, you know, we'll say quote unquote best from a population-wide. We're going to talk about hormone replacement therapy. That's the, that's the thing. Pharmacolo pharmacological hormone replacement therapy. That's what your doctor is going to recommend. That's what seems to be the, the 
you know, most beneficial. Then we've got maybe some other hormones related to that. We've got growth hormone, we've got melatonin. You're like, maybe there's maybe potential benefit, right? Um, but there are also low level interventions that are more, we'll call them over the counter. Um, and maybe something that if you're really, because like I, the reason we're covering these is because I know a lot of people are against taking hormones or they're against like, oh, I don't want to have to pay for a drug or I don't want to have to do whatever. But that doesn't mean that like there's it falls into this kind of naturalistic fallacy of like oh well I'll take something natural that ex, you know is found in nature you know yeah. so that doesn't mean that it's good like cancer is natural it's, it's found in nature you know the AIDS virus is is natural <laughs> you know it's like it doesn't mean that it's good right so don't fall into that naturalistic fallacy or the naturalistic trap um but I know a lot of people they do they do have some some something against you know pharmacological interventions. So what can those people think about? Yeah, so the 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 big one I suppose that you hear a lot about is um phytoestrogens. Um so phytoestrogens they're natural compounds kind of mostly found in in um plant-based foods. Um so they're thought to kind of um mimic um the effects of estrogen in in the body. So there there's a lot of there's a lot of kind of yeah, but buzz around phytoestrogen. So it'll be mostly seen kind of soybeans, um, soy-based products, chickpeas, flax seeds, etc. Um, so it like I said, it's thought to kind of mimic that the way kind of estrogen acts in the body. So it's thought to kind of reduce kind of um hot flashes, um, etc. Um, but the like the research is kind of sketchy on it. I mean, like what, you know, what quantity of kind of, you know, soybeans, soy-based products, you know, should you kind of be consuming for this? And then kind of what level is this going to reduce kind of the hot flashes by? That's kind of the, the main thing. Um, You know, there's also, um you know, supplements. So um red clover supplements, kind of a soy isoflavin supplement, which is like a more concentrated form um, of this. And there is shown to be kind of like, a, you know, a greater benefit kind of with them. Um, But again, you know, you're really kind of you know need to look at kind of the severity of 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 the symptoms and whether this is something that kind of would would benefit you um and even a lot of the studies are are quite sketchy some showing you know great benefit other when compared to a placebo are showing kind of you know the, the same benefit um as taking supplement versus not um so it, it it's kind of one of those things that that's really hard to know um it's not um it's not something that i'd kind of like immediately like recommend um but it's not something that i'd tell someone you know not to have unless they're you're not supposed to have them um with if with you have a history of like breast cancer um like but, the same same things apply in terms of like if you have an estrogen mediated yeah risk factor yeah exactly exactly so um you know it, it's likely not going to be kind of you know harmful for you to to um you know consume it's definitely not gonna be harmful for you to consume kind of more soybeans um um or even kind of take um a supplement but again if, if you're buying a supplement um you know obviously there there's a, a money factor with that as well yeah and also a, a predatory marketing factor with that, <laughs> with that as well you know mm-hmm. if oh like this this supplement has you know shown huge benefits or whatever and then if you actually look at the data it's like oh this is just in like a cell culture it seems to have some sort of estrogenic effect you know it, there's yeah. no actual like oh it reduced symptoms and it did like anything in the the actual real world or it's like oh it seemed to do it in rats it's like i don't know if you've ever asked a rat if they have uh, hot flashes like yeah they're not going to be able to tell you (laughs) you know um so it's like in my mind like plant estrogens or phytoestrogens like 
it's a low level intervention. It's something that, again, if you're just really against trying, like actually going, like going to your doctor and getting prescribed like some sort of estrogen or whatever, like it's potentially something there, you know? Um, but this is such a low, like small, 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 small amount of estrogen that it's kind of like, is it really all that beneficial, right? Is it really doing much of anything? Now, estrogen is quite potent. You know, you only need a small amount to get the job done, but it wouldn't be something that I'd be like, oh no, I, I eat soybeans like, or tofu or whatever uh, a couple of times per week. And that means I get enough estrogen. No, like it's, it's not, it's not, it's not that good, you know? And this is actually, it's kind of interesting because like people often forget that like plants do, they're, they're living things, you know, like they have to communicate, they have to have like quote unquote hormones here. Like we often forget that like the stuff where people forget that, like, say you get a testosterone, like a lot of people will get like testosterone, um, whether they're, you know, bodybuilders supplementing with testosterone or, you know, it's, you know, legally prescribed hormone replacement therapy, testosterone, like a lot of that is made from yams, you know, it's like the actual, like cholesterol, if you will, like the kind of backbone, it's just, they're basically just made from yam, uh, yeah. cholesterol. Um, and then it's made into testosterone, you know, it's kind of the same for, for estrogens and stuff like that. So it makes sense, you know, um, that if we had a sufficient quantity of this, or if we chose foods that had a sufficient amount of this already in them, like this, this compound that kind of looks like estrogen that seems to bind to the estrogen receptor and you get some sort of estrogen signaling happy days, you know, mm. but there's so many drugs that we could use that would just do that. So, so much better, you know? Notably, yeah. we could actually just supplement with estrogen itself or one of the estrogens itself, you know? So it's like, in my mind, look, I'm not going to be bigging up plant estrogens. There's something that, you know, maybe you would consider, you know, it's like, all right, look, I don't want to do, you know, pharmacology. I don't want to, I don't want to get into any of this, like big pharma or whatever, you, whatever ethical, moral, fucking, I don't know, whatever your, your, your beef is with pharmacological interventions. You're just like, I don't want to do that. Then the only other hormonal intervention you potentially have here is some sort of phytoestrogen some sort of plant estrogen and it seems to be that soy isoflavins and red clover supplements they seem to be the ones that are most supported but it's very weak evidence at least in my mind at least you know yeah and um, there are other things unless you're finding us saying plant estrogens no no i think that that, that um, yeah, there are other things like you'll often see like DHEA said, oh, like, you know, you go through menopause, take some DHEA and you know you can make a mechanistic, you know, rationale for why that would be potentially uh, helpful here. You know, we can say that DHEA is, we could actually even call it one of the main androgens. So one of the main, like we'll call them male, if you want to use that terminology, um, hormones for, for women. So you'd be like, all right, if you want to have increases in mood, you want to have some sort of testosterone support for women, like DHEA, you know, maybe it has some benefit here. Now it also does other things because you can actually get like some aromatase activity. So you can get some increase in estrogen by virtue of increasing testosterone, which then gets converted to estrogen. So there are potential benefits here from an estrogen perspective, because that's the main thing we're thinking about when we're thinking about menopause. Um, but I don't think it's uh, really well supported. You know, a lot of, you'll see this on the message board. you be like, oh, take some DHEA and mm. you might get some symptom relief. You might get some sort of 
benefit like a lot of people will go on the pill for example you'll see this on message boards as well some people do recommend it they'll go on the pill they'll notice that their strength goes down they're a strength athletes or whatever and then they start taking dhea so they get some sort of you know testosterone signaling because you know some of the the pills or whatever have anti-androgenic effects which is why as we've talked about in like pcos and whatever like it's beneficial for for them but for some yeah. individuals they might be like oh like i'm losing out on some of the benefits that i had from being like you know quote unquote natural i didn't wasn't on the pill <laughs> you know so they might take dha and go oh look this is actually a huge benefit here i feel more vigor i feel strength in the gym whatever again it's just like masculine hormone or whatever you're getting these kind yeah. of like stereotypical masculine uh, effects um so we can see how that could potentially be beneficial in menopause but i just don't see a huge amount of evidence to be like this is where i'm going to lay my hat this is much better than anything else that we could potentially do you know like it's it's there it's something that you know maybe you can consider but for the vast majority of people i just wouldn't even consider it you know it's also again similar to melatonin it's illegal over the counter in a lot of countries you know so it's one of those things where you're like all right you actually have to now think about the legal whatever obligations or whatever you want to call them uh, about you know potentially getting this supplement you know and um, so unless you have anything else to say for that it's not something that i would be recommending yeah i agree yeah. um but there are other things um black cohosh cohosh i don't know how to really say yeah. it but i think it's cohosh um you see that often recommend what's the story there yeah, so it, it, it's a herb um and it's thought to you know increase the effects of the estrogen um but just like a lot of other things you know there's the the when you look into the evidence again it, it it's very sketchy like a, there's a lot of um studies showing kind of uh you know great benefit for this particularly in terms of kind of hot hot flashes um but then again when when compared with placebo it it it, it may not show kind of much of a, of a benefit and again it's one of those things that um again i just i wouldn't um necessarily like recommend it to 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 a client if they're already on it you know it, it's likely not going to do kind of any any kind of you know damage and even if there is a placebo benefit you know um that that might be good for for some women um but again like you're you're paying for it um for something that might not actually be really benefiting you um again so it, it might not be negative but it, it it's not necessarily something that i would say you know you know do this try this yeah and then there are a whole host of other supplements that have fantastic marketing but are generally not really that effective you know they might have again some data to support them but it's not like robust like yeah this, this is this is the next big thing you know like if you read their their marketing literature you're like jesus this sounds fucking phenomenal this this sounds great yeah. but they have worded that in such a way to maximize the uh appeal of it but that doesn't mean that it's very scientific, you know? And yeah. um, obviously, look, we haven't fucking done a deep dive on every single potential supplement for menopause. I'm sure there's fucking millions out there that maybe, you know, maybe one of them has a benefit. And that's the thing that gets you yeah. like one of these actually, you know, it's the secret. It's actually the one thing that nobody else knows. And it's, it's fantastic, you know, but like, I just, I wouldn't be spending all your money on various supplements when there's so much more effective interventions out there, you know, do you mind yeah. stay on, on supplements? 
Yeah, I, I suppose the thing is with marketing is that it you know it targets people that that are vulnerable. So if you have a product that's you know targeted towards kind of relieving kind of menopause symptoms, it's hard you know if you're someone that 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 is struggling kind of with the perimenopause not not to feed into that. Um, so it's it is kind of you know like talking to someone kind of being informed kind of like do I need this you know kind of what like the the benefits that they're kind of putting out do 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 I need these things like I was saying. Um, last week, um, a client that that joined with me was on, you know, one of these um, supplements for the menopause um, and had, you know, phytoestrogens in it, um, which is not someone that suffers kind of with, you know, hot flashes. Her her symptoms are, you know, completely different towards the, you know, the tooted benefits of phytoestrogens. And then there was, you know, um, omega-3s on it. And it was saying, you know, kind of for your cardiovascular health. And then when you look into it, um, you know, the quantity, I think it was like, you know, like 240 milligrams a day, you know, kind of total of, of um, you know, kind of your EPA and your DHA. And I was like, that's crap, you know. <laughs> um, So like the, the, you know, it's kind of just looking at that, like, do you know, do I need this? And is this actually kind of the most beneficial kind of, um, uh, thing that I could be taking. Yeah, but it sounds great. You're like, you're sounds great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm like cardiovascular benefits. And then when you look at it, you're like, oh, you know. Yeah. Um. So supplements were generally not, you know, we're not uh, enthusiastic about them, right? But let's wrap this non-hormone replacement therapy stuff up, right? So, what works? What doesn't? <laughs> Yeah, so like you're saying, nutrition and exercise, <laughs> you, like, you know, kind of works. Um, It's safe, you know, and effective kind of nutrition, exercise, things like reducing caffeine, reducing alcohol, um, not smoking. Um, and then again, vaginal lubricants can be um, beneficial again if, if you're suffering with kind of general urinary symptoms. And then things that, you know, kind of we and HRT, you know, as well, um, obviously. Um, and then in terms of kind of things that we don't know. So like we were saying, like the DHEA, the phytoestrogens, the black cohosh, et cetera, um, acupuncture, we, we, we just don't know how, how effective that they really are. And it might, it might in years to come, it, we might kind of turn around and have to go back on that and said, actually, you know, phytoestrogens are incredible. Um, but right now we just kind of don't have the, the data on that to, to say for sure. 100%. Um, so yeah, that's, that's most of everything I think we want to cover. Is there anything else that you want to wrap up on or touch on again? No, I think that's all good. Fantastic. Um, so yeah, look, guys, you know where to find us. I'm not going to do the big spiel here now. You know, all our links and stuff are, are below or above, depending on where you listen to this. If you enjoyed this series, like share it with your friend that really does help. Like I actually, I know everyone and their grandmother says stuff like that. When you listen to any like podcasts or ever say, Oh, share with your friend, but that kind of stuff actually really does help get, get our podcast out, get the message out, et cetera. You know, um, leave a five-star review. If you've no, nothing good to say, don't say anything at all. Just don't review us. Um, five-star reviews only. Um, but, uh, yeah, if you can leave a review on whatever podcasting app you listen to, like that's obviously, you know, much appreciated and it is beneficial and helpful for our company, et cetera. Um, Nicola, you do have some spaces available for some clients. So if people are looking, you know, for help, whatever it is, whatever female issue it is, you know, you're there. You also do consults. If someone's like, look, I, I know you can't prescribe this, or I know you can't tell me what to do, but I just need someone that's, 
you know, somewhat educated in this stuff uh, to help me make better decisions. Like you can be there to help them to make sure they're doing like, okay, have you got your nutrition dialed in? Have you got your training dialed in? Have you got your lifestyle dialed in? You know, oh, you want to know about this? This is something that you shouldn't be thinking about until you've done X, Y, and Z. You know, so if you want, you know, you can book in with Nicola, get a consultation in. Um, So I've nothing else really to say. Do you have anything else to say? No, all good. Other than that, follow us on social media, subscribe to the podcast, do all that good stuff, like, you know, all that kind of stuff. And yeah, and we'll see you in the next one.